0: Time to shoot the bull, as in bullpens. We'll talk with BaseballHQ.com bullpens analyst Doug Dennis about bullpens and closer opportunities around baseball, facts and flukes for the rest of the season, and more, next on Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Here's
2: a pitch on the way, a swing and a
0: belt. A field, way back. Blue Jays win it. The Blue Jays are-
3: Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of May 17th and show number 18 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host... And in addition to BaseballHQ.com bullpens analyst Doug Dennis, we'll have our regular contributors from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our National League analyst is Harold Nichols. Our American League analyst is columnist Jock Thompson. In our regular Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at San Diego left-handed pitching prospect Max Fried. In our HQ matchup segment, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the best and worst pitcher matchups for the next few days, including Shelby Miller against San Diego, Sean Markham facing Cincinnati, and more. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com general manager Ray Murphy talks about how it's still early. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, Juan Pierre tied Matt Kemp for home runs this season. What do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, Juan Pierre hit his first home run of the season on Thursday night, leading off against Matt Latos of the Reds. Pierre's lonesome homer was his first since last June, but it tied him with perennial first-rounder Matt Kemp of the Dodgers. Not to mention Dustin Pedroia, Melky Cabrera, Michael Young, and Eric Hosmer. Maybe there's some life in them old legs yet. In the first inning of our show, showing off their legs our League Watch News reporters. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League. But leading off, it's the National League Report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball
3: HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. And
0: Nick, you're on the road this week to the Magic Kingdom, and I don't mean Fenway Park.
3: We are indeed, taking a a grandson to Disney World, so that will be
0: be exciting. Well, we'll try to talk about the Magic Kingdom of fantasy baseball, but uh, most of the news is not that great uh, this week uh, for the National League report. We'll start with Alan Craig, who featured in Dan Becker's Home Run Faders column. And this is interesting. He meets the criteria, but we don't think that Alan Craig is actually a Home Run
3: Fader. No, he's not a home run fader. He's going to be a home run gainer at this point. I mean, Alan Craig uh, Alan Craig has started very slowly in the home run department. Uh, at this point, just two home runs on the season. But if you look at the rest of Alan Craig, everything else looks pretty good. Uh, hitting two hundred ninety three, he's actually batted in 30 runs at this point. I think the total projection is for over 100 RBIs. The only problem is the home runs aren't coming. But all of the underlying stats look good. His walk rate is good. His contact rate is good. His fly ball rate is good. The only problem with Alan Craig at this point is a very fluky five percent home run per fly rate. Last year he was at seventeen percent, eighteen percent the year before. So it's—I I think that's going to turn around. It's just a matter of how long it takes that home run per fly rate to turn around before the balls start aren't leaving the ballpark.
0: Alan Craig last year Nick laid down a pretty significant jump in home runs. He got past the twenty home run barrier for the first time, largely because he got a lot of uh, a lot of playing time, and. All the skills underlying that surge last year seemed to point to the fact that it was a sustainable thing. So if anybody in a league is panicking about Alan Craig's slow start, this might be the time to swoop in and, and maybe make a buy low offer.
3: Yeah, I think very definitely because a slow start is not in anything except the home run category. Everything else is looking very solid. So I, I, now is a good time to buy low because I'm not sure this, uh, this uh, window is going to stay open very long. And if
0: he even gets anywhere near his at-bats from last year, it looks like he's probably going to surpass his RBI total, which would be a nice plus. And, of course, he's traditionally going to be around 300, so that's going to be a a positive thing as well. Basically, if you buy now on Alan Craig, it looks like what you're doing is kind of guaranteeing yourself everything that you expect from him except the home runs, and then you're counting on the home runs to even out.
3: Right. That, That makes a lot of sense, I think, Patrick.
0: In Chicago, Carlos Villanueva is off to a what looks like a pretty good start. We liked Carlos Villanueva coming into the season as kind of an end game starter, a guy to take a chance on. And while he seems to be delivering the goods, uh, Stephen Nickrant's starting pitcher's buyer's guide column about fastball velocity and dominance says um, maybe not so much.
3: Yeah, I think we need to be careful with Carlos Villanueva at this point. And in fact, he's had a couple of rocky starts uh, back-to-back, I think, recently here. He's... <laughs> What's going on with Carlos Rodaleva is his DOM rate is down. 8.8 last year down to 6.2 this year. Uh and his his control has been a little bit better so his command is is staying right where it was a year ago. But uh but that low DOM rate has got to be a bit of a, a bit worrisome at this point. And the question is whether he can sustain that sub 4 ERA uh as we keep going forward. Right now his xERA is 3.71. Uh that looks pretty good. But uh, Carlos Villanueva is uh, a little on the shaky side with the skills, I think, at the moment.
0: Yeah, at best, he looks like kind of a league average type pitcher. And, and the worry seems to be that last year he had a 1.7 home run per nine rate. And uh, this year it's a little better at 1.2, but 1.2 home runs per nine is still not good.
3: No, it's not. It's still not good. And, and pitching in Chicago isn't going to help that kind of home run rate. So, uh, in fact, the home run rate, I, I suspect, could actually go up although his homer per fly rate is right where it was a year ago at 15%. But, again, that's uh, that's on the high side. So uh, I think there are reasons for some concern about Carlos Villalueva, and probably now is a good time to sell.
0: Maybe offer him to the Alan Craig owner in your league and see if you can pull off a swap in that direction. There you go. Uh, Jeff Tomich in a Facts and Flukes column this week at baseballhq.com talked about Jonathan Neese. and now this is another guy we thought might make a pretty interesting endgame acquisition, uh, probably even a little before the endgame. But man, he's off to an ugly start, and it's not all luck.
3: No, he's off to a very ugly start, and it's it's been uh, the last couple of outings have just been been absolutely awful. Um I, I think there's something physical going on with Nice as we take a look at, at what's happening here. You've got a, a 4.5 DOM rate compared to 7.3 a year ago. His walks are up to 4.5, so we've got a 1.0 command, which, of course, is not good at all. Uh, and so a 5.06 XCRA. Now, John Nice earlier this week said he he looked at himself in a mirror and found some mechanical issues. Uh, so we can hope that's part of the problem. Uh, also there reportedly have been some neck and some back issues those could be affecting his velocity but his velocity is down his um his dominance is down and i think the only thing to do at this point is to bench him and see if he can turn him around because certainly no one's going to want to buy him right now
0: yeah and if your if your league doesn't allow it it might be time to just wave him and, and try somebody else out there because uh the, the 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 thing that worries me here nick is that Big jump in his control. He was traditionally down around the 2.5 walks per nine, 2.3 walks per nine the last couple of years. Now all of a sudden, boom, right up to 4.5, even while his strikeout rate is dropping. And that indicates to me that he's having trouble finding the plate, which is a control issue. And oftentimes, we've talked about this before on the show, when you see a pitcher who all of a sudden develops an inability to find the plate where he had the ability to find the plate before, there's elbow issues
3: that's possible I the, the explanation here that we're getting is that uh the back and the back and neck issues have caused him to alter his arm slot and that, that that's causing a decrease in velocity but even then if it's not an elbow problem the back and neck issues have got to be fixed uh in order to uh to allow him to get where he was a year ago
0: and again i'm not rick wilton i'm not a, a any you know any kind of expert on on um physical matters as far as pitchers are concerned but I've been playing this game long enough to know that when you hear about one kind of injury in a pitcher and they say it has nothing to do with his arm, a lot of times it has everything to do with his arm because he's compensating for some pain in his throwing, in his throwing arm by adjusting everything else about his delivery, and that leads to knee problems, to leg problems, to back problems, all these kind of things which cascade on from the underlying problem, which is which is a sore arm. Absolutely. And every year we want to close on a good news note. Every year, Nick, we have at least one big veteran who has a rebound year, and so far this year anyway, one such player has been in Philadelphia. second baseman, Chase Utley, looks like a guy 10 years younger.
3: He does. He's finally off to a, he's off to a really good start. I mean, the last couple of years we've seen injury problems with Chase Utley and, and then talked that his age and uh, uh, was causing skill declines. And, so, you know, if we look at what's going on with Chase Huntley at the moment, we see that his power is up. PX up from 102 to 123 this year. Holman per fly rate is staying solid. Uh His, uh, his XBA is right where it was a year ago, but his real batting average is up from 256 to 289. All the underlying skills are there, and we're seeing some of the power come back, and uh, even a little bit of speed. He's actually stolen four bases so far this season. So... Right now, things are looking good with Chase Utley, and uh, looking especially good because his ground ball rate is down, his fly ball rate is up, uh, kind of looking like the Chase Utley of old. Now, I think the problem is likely to be, uh, we've got a guy who's got an injury history, and he's probably not going to ring up 600 at-bats. That's probably an overly optimistic uh, 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 mystic, optimistic expectation for Chase Utley, so... Uh, with the injury history and the age, who knows how long he'll stay out there playing at this rate, but right now he's playing very, very well.
0: All of his rate stats, if you convert his home runs, his RBIs, not quite his stolen bases but they're not bad. But if you convert them all to a per at-bat basis or to a per 500 at-bat basis, he's Not quite at the level when he was a most valuable player candidate, but he's up there. And then the question, as you say, is playing time. And I was just looking at his past uh, few years track record. Listen to this string of plate appearances starting from the 2008 peak, just over 700. He goes to 687, to 511, to 454, to 362. That's the last five years he's losing 100 plate appearances a year.
3: He is, and so I don't think it's realistic to expect him to suddenly jump back up to 500, 600 plate appearances.
0: Nick uh, have fun in the magic kingdom with your grandson and we'll catch up with you again in a week's time
3: thanks a lot Patrick
0: Harold Nichols writes the National League Central Division Outlook for BaseballHQ.com and is our man on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio now let's turn to the American League and BaseballHQ.com director of news and analysis Jock Thompson Jock welcome to the
2: show hi PD how you doing
0: I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. I'm still struggling in my Tout Wars team because I have David Price and um, Cole Hamels as my aces, and uh, we'll be talking about David Price in a second, but they they have been less than ace-caliber pitchers so far, shall we say. Jock, let's start our look at the American League with Chris Perez in Cleveland. Tom Kephart of BaseballHQ.com noted story about his shoulder soreness, and I guess the question is, where does that leave the Cleveland bullpen, and especially who's going to get the saves?
2: Now, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Perez hasn't been used in four days since uh, that report came out. And Tom thinks that uh, a guy named Joe Smith, the ground ball specialist, is most likely to get saves. Um, Vinny Pastano has had tendonitis, and he hasn't pitched since, I think, late April. But uh, Cleveland has a real nice group of power arms coming out of that pen. Uh, there's real committee potential. Both Joe Smith and Cody Allen, both with 100-plus closer-worthy BPVs, Um, It's a nice little group and a very watchable situation for owners looking for the next Cleveland closer, especially in deep keeper leagues.
0: Yeah, they seem to have an embarrassment of riches there. Uh, Joe Smith has been uh, a real solid ground ball strikeout type guy, although his strikeout rate is not quite as high as uh, some of the other candidates. Uh, Joe Smith also has been around Cleveland for quite a while, and maybe familiarity will breed enthusiasm on the part of Terry Francona.
2: Yeah, and his walk rate is real good, too, so that pretty much compensates for that uh, not quite having that dominating closer uh, strikeout rate, but he's having a really good year.
0: Another Perez, Salvador Perez, the catcher in Kansas City. This guy was somebody everybody loved coming into the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. Matt Gelfand looked at him this week in facts and flukes column at BaseballHQ.com. What's the outlook for Salvador Perez?
2: Yeah, I got a lot of questions about him uh, in my USA today online chat a couple of weeks ago. A lot of people are disappointed in him and my take is, uh, you know, heck it's uh, it's May, he's 23, he's hitting uh, he's hitting 303. What's the problem? No kidding. And when you look at his 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 numbers, his contact is down a touch, uh, his 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 walk rate has never been very selective, and his poor pitch selection has probably led to the fly ball rate drop that has produced only one homer this year. But that said, is his expected batting average is two hundred seventy-eight. His physical tools are still impressive. I like him a lot still. I like the, the offense he's in. I think you hold on to him and you take the long-term approach.
0: I mentioned David Price at the outset. A disaster for me so far this year in Tout Wars and for all his owners across Fantasy Baseball. Now he's been uh, removed from a game. His last start, he left after a couple of innings. With, uh, it's been reported as a strained triceps, but there's also been some talk of allergy problems. He's going to miss at least one start. And uh, curiously, David Price was also mentioned by Stephen Nickrand in the Starting Pitchers Buyer's Guide this past week in a column about comparing fastball velocity with dominance rate. How would you handle Price if you owned him, and how would you handle him if you didn't?
2: That's an interesting one because if you remember last year, uh, Felix Hernandez came into the year and he started losing velocity and his his start wasn't that good. And, and if you look at, at price, he has a mediocre four point seven eighty ADRA and 1.39 whip. Um, but as, as Steven mentions, his base skills have still been pretty elite. Uh, he's got an 8.2 dom. It's down a little bit. He's got a 50% ground ball rate. Um, my take is that, you know, he, he still looks like he could, improve, and and he's an ace, I mean, you certainly check the market and see what you can get for him, but uh, I wouldn't sell him too low right here. I think he could make a comeback.
0: You know, I was looking at my Twitter account the other day, and David Ganos, who's a fantasy baseball, fantasy football guy, who's in my Tout Wars League, uh, mentioned that uh, Tampa Bay's real trouble has been uh, a very high ERA in the first inning of games. So all their starters have had terrible first innings of games. And that made me curious. And I looked up David Price, Jock, and, and check this out. His batting average on balls in play in the first inning alone is 4.44. Now that should be somewhere down around 300. So that's a, an example of terrible luck. And also his strand rate is very low because he's been giving up home runs out of all proportion. I think something like 17% home run per fly ball rate. Uh, I, I think I'm with you. I, I'm not giving up on David Price just yet.
2: Yeah, that that first inning uh, stat is real interesting. It almost sounds like he should be maybe warming up a little bit differently in the pen, huh?
0: Well, the odd thing is it's all of the starters on Tampa, not just him. So maybe it is a team-wide thing that they're not, they're not warming them up sufficiently or long enough or whatever the case might be. But, boy, I'll tell you, if I didn't have David Price right now and somebody was selling him in my league, I'd be awfully tempted to get in there and try to buy him low. Uh, who do you think is going to replace him in the rotation while he's not, uh, not available?
2: Well, uh, cost-conscious Tampa Bay is always interesting. They always have good uh, pitching prospects. But you always have to look at their 40-man roster to see who's there because they're not likely to start the arb clock to begin early on uh, on uh, a lot of their prospects. Fortunately for them, they have three really good names, Chris Archer, Jake uh, Odorisi, and Alex Colomay that they could take a look at. I think Chris Archer is probably first in the in the pecking order, but the sleeper is Columet. He's pitching better than any of the three, and they, they may want to get a first look at him. He's the only one that hasn't pitched in the majors so far.
0: And maybe therefore he's the least likely because of the arbitration issue?
2: No, he's actually on the 40-man roster along with the other three. I was surprised to see that, but he's there.
0: It isn't the 40-man roster, though, that counts towards arbitration or free agency eligibility. It's the 25-man roster or the DL at the major league level. So they still might have some interest in keeping him off the big league roster, the 25-man, until uh, June or so. Uh, BaseballHQ.com, Jock coming into this season, loved Al Albuquerque of the Tigers and mentioned him as a possible save source because their bullpen was so muddled at the time. Of course, none of that happened, and he's been not exactly uh, uh, the pitcher that anybody expected. And now we just hear he's been sent to Triple A Toledo. So he's a mud hen. What are the ramifications of that?
2: Yeah, it's kind of interesting when you look at uh, Albuquerque's 3.14 ERA and uh, 3.23 expected ERA. Detroit's doing pretty well, obviously, because a lot of teams would like to have those problems. But if you look a little deeper, he's got a, a 16.3 DOM, but he also has an 8.2 control to go along with that. So he's unhittable, but he can't find the plate at times either. And I think Detroit is just giving him a breather to go down and see if he can work on his command. At least that's what's been reported.
0: Well, he definitely walks too many guys. You don't hear about a command ratio like that that low with a, with a strikeout ratio that high. And finally, Jock, you analyzed the back of the Texas rotation in your American League West Division Outlook column this past week. What's going on in the Texas rotation?
2: Both Justin Grimm and Nick Tepish are, are, have shown flashes, and they both have mid-rotation upside. But one of the things that Texas really has going for them right now is that they're in the same division as, as Houston and, uh, and the Angels, uh, which, which gives them a little leeway in the short term. But uh, both Grimm and Tepish, they're going to struggle. They're going to show flashes. Um, and Texas is obviously looking for something more than that long term, particularly when they get to the postseason.
0: What about Colby Lewis?
2: Yeah, Lewis is now out on a rehab, so they expect that he will join the team sometime in late May and or early June. Probably early June. He had a little tricep soreness after his first start. Uh, they shut him down for a couple of days, but they're hoping they're going to make his, uh, the ne- his next start this week. And
0: how about the trade market? Uh, heaven knows Texas has a lot of decent-looking prospects, and uh, names like Cliff Lee are popping up. Uh, when Philly completes its fall from contention, uh, I know they're only three and a half back in the National League East, and that might preclude them making any immediate moves, but they're under 500. They're under 500 at home and on the road, and they have a minus 27 run differential, which is really bad. Atlanta's leading the division. They're plus 26, so that's a 50 run swing between Atlanta in first place and Philly in third. And you just look at that team, and you don't see them having the guns to make it up.
2: Yeah, I think you're bringing up a real good point here. First off, the Rangers are, are filled with talent at all levels. They may be in the best position of any contender to take advantage of the starting pitching options that are going to become available on the trade market come June or uh, or late July, just before the trade deadline. And Cliff Lee has been in Texas. He lives in Arkansas. He's close to home. Um, I, I agree with you. I don't think Philly is going to stay in contention, not, not in that tough NL East with Atlanta and Washington. Um, that... Match seems to be just too good to be true. I do expect Texas to take advantage of the pitching trade market that develops.
0: Any examples in the in the uh, Texas farm system that uh, maybe somebody like Philadelphia might be interested in?
2: Well, in the farm system, they got a low level, a lot of low level and mid level prospects. Um, I'm not right now. Uh, you know, conversing or or really thinking about uh, at this point in time what Philly thinks they need, you know, to rebuild because this is obviously a team at least in rebuild or or reload mode. Um, but the Rangers, for example, have Martin Perez in Double in A Frisco. He's trying to regain his pitching form after that forearm fracture. Um, he's a guy that they could bring up to replace uh, Grimm or Tepes if, uh, if things go too bad. That's a guy that they might consider trading for closely. But not
0: jerks and Profar, you don't think? Uh, uh,
2: unless they're getting something back that really helps them. Uh, for example, like one of their – it, it's been talked about that Profar might be the uh, – the bait that lures uh, something to help um, what looks to be some some vacancies in their outfield next year i i kind of don't see profar being traded for uh uh, uh, too much of anything at the deadline unless it's something that has staying power in texas the rangers have a lot of options that they can deal aside from profar and uh, uh, someone would have to offer them something pretty good to pry profar away from the one thing
0: leaning towards them being willing to trade profile and i can understand why they wouldn't be he's a a fantastic prospect but right now at least he really lacks a place to play in texas they're pretty set at shortstop with andrews i believe they just signed him to an extension Uh, ian kinsler's nowhere near done his contract i don't believe and that takes care of the middle infield all of a sudden now you're are they going to put profile in the outfield doesn't seem to make a lot of sense
2: yeah you hit the nail on the head pd uh uh Profard really needs a spot to play. Texas has to move people around to fit him in. They're going to have to put. Uh, uh, they've t- they've talked about putting Ian Kinsler at first base. They've talked about uh, uh, moving people into the outfield. And Profar's best position is in the middle of the of the infield, either at second base or shortstop. My take is on him for as far as an inter interleague or a, or a pre uh, trade deadline trade piece is that Texas is going to have to get more than a player rental like Cliff Lead for them to part with him.
0: And, you know, it, it seems unlikely they're going to be moving Kinsler to first base because that would displace uh, Mitch Moreland, and Moreland's having a great year.
2: Yeah, Moreland is tearing it up right now. He's their big power source. On the other hand, they could potentially move Moreland to the outfield, at least over the long haul. Uh, David Murphy is 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 obviously another left-handed hitter, and and he's, he's started to come alive with the bat. But he doesn't have nearly the power potential or the future, I don't think, that Moreland has.
0: And before I let you go, Jock, I have to say I watched uh, Kansas City play the Angels the other night, and uh, y- your boys, uh, the Angels, did not look real good.
2: No, they didn't. And which night are you talking about, P.D.? Were you talking about... Uh... Wednesday night's game or Mondays or Tuesdays, (laughs) because Monday and Wednesday they were awful. Tuesday, they hit a few home runs. They got good pitching, what they were hoping to get. But Monday and Wednesday has been more often the case than not. Uh, The the starting pitching fails them, and the offense just – sputters with men on base and uh it's it's been a it's been a rough season well you know your
0: team's in trouble when somebody says i saw them have a real bad game and your first question is which real bad game are you talking about
2: yeah the experience hasn't been too good for the fans either there's a lot of rumbling uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens. My take on the Angels is that they are just uh, they're going to wait till everyone gets healthy and and see what they have because so far everything they've tried and all the moves they made even in the preseason and the winter haven't been good and I think they're afraid of making another one.
0: Any buy lows there?
2: On the Angels, uh, boy, that's a tough call. I think uh, probably Albert Pujols is a by-low right now. Um, it really depends on how much you feel the plantar fasciitis is hurting his production. I think it is. I don't know what the outcome of that will be in terms of him, get, him getting better this season. I still think uh, if he's healthy holes while he isn't the hitter he used to be is still a, a, a 30 home run threat waiting to happen.
0: Yeah, watching him walk around out there, I was reminded of Red Fox guy I'm coming,
2: Elizabeth! Yeah, a
0: really bad looking gait.
2: Yeah, he's really he really seems to struggle walking and standing up and running, and uh, he just looks like he's walking in pins and needles out there. I'm glad I've never had that particular malady because uh, it looks painful.
0: Yeah, it looks terrible, and, of course, we wish him all the best. Jock, also wish you all the best. Thanks very much for helping us out. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time.
2: Thanks, PD. Talk to you next week.
0: Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com. He writes the American League West Division Outlook column and other columns and is just basically the most busy guy around the BaseballHQ.com site. Our feature interview with Doug Dennis, bullpens columnist at BaseballHQ.com, is coming up next. Stay with us. This is Baseball HQ Radio.
2: And I don't want the
3: worst umpire in the
2: league
3: telling me where we are in the standing. He can call me a horse manager. I'll buy that. But I don't need to be reminded where this club is in the standing by somebody that can't do their job and never has been able to do their job. Myself, the coaches, and the players can take only so much of this crap. That was a classic the last two games. I'm going to tell you right now. 23 years, that's the worst I ever saw. Now, when they don't attack me personally, again, I don't give a s***, sh- because I got more time than all those c- out there. But when they start talking about this ball club, don't back me up against the f***ing wall. Because if it weren't for the good umpires of the league, all those other guys out there, wrestling and would be in the minor
1: league. Maybe baseball hq
0: radio and welcome back to baseball hq radio i'm patrick david just love those manager rants and we'll have another one a little later on in the show but right now we won't have any ranting because we have our feature guest this week the always cool debonair and analytical doug dennis bullpens analyst at baseballhq.com. doug it's been quite a while since you were last on welcome back to the show
4: thanks glad to be back
0: Doug, uh, before we talk about bullpens, you're a past winner of XFL. You've won labor. Do you also play in any home leagues, non-expert leagues?
4: Yeah, I play in a league of uh, Cincinnati lawyers. that has been around for probably around 20 years. Um, There's surprisingly few rules battles in that league.
0: (laughs) A league full of lawyers and you don't have rules battles. That is unusual.
4: Yeah, I mean, it, it, honestly, I think everybody is tired of fighting all day in their real job, so when it comes to baseball, they're pretty uh, tranquil.
0: Have you tried the new daily games, these uh, games where you play just a single night's action?
4: Oh, I have no time. I, I mean, I have a day job I got to do. I got kids. No, I don't do that game.
0: It it seems an awful lot like gambling whenever I, I listen to a, a couple of shows on Sirius XM on the Fantasy Channel, and uh, when they talk about how they're playing it, You know, they seem to be saying you can use all the metrics and say, well, you can predict with great confidence that Steven is going to have a good start tonight, but I always think in one start, it doesn't seem like you can confidently predict anything.
4: Right. I mean, I think you'd have to play it more than one night. I mean, if you played it for every night of the year, then over time, you'd probably do okay, but you'd have to play it every night of the year, and who has time for that?
0: Yeah, at that point it becomes actually more of a burden than your regular fantasy league where you're looking at it an hour or two a week if you've got weekly moves.
4: Yeah, the one thing, though, is it's new every day.
0: (laughs) How are you doing so far in those experts leagues?
4: Well, I'm uh, toggling between second and third in labor so far this year, but it's it's awfully early. Um, In XFL, I'm eighth, but that's only because I'm in the fourth year of a three-year rebuilding plan. Um, at home i 'm between third and sixth on any given day, but it 's you know it 's may it 's just May
0: and Ray Murphy talks about that a little later on in this show that it's it 's May, and you know we hear this wisdom that Memorial Day or mid May or something like that is when you have an idea of your team, but really you don 't do you
4: um you might have some idea that some players who get hurt, and so you have to figure that out. I mean, it's, you're farther down the line than you were on April 1st, but certainly not far enough that you have every idea how it's going to end up in the end.
0: Doug, you've been writing about bullpens for BaseballHQ.com since before the turn of the century. What have been the biggest changes over your 14 years covering bullpens in, in the major leagues for fantasy?
4: Well, that's a good question. I guess I think that the pitching metrics have come a long way at least from the first uh, times that I started writing here, um, the, you know, it's easy to wrap one's mind around skill indicators and, you know, things like the idea of a fluctuation around a mean set of data. Um, but it's a small number of innings, so the, obviously the spread, you know, for relievers is much greater. I think that where we've made a lot of progress, and I don't mean just us, but, you know, in the industry in general has made a lot of progress, is tracking usage patterns by managers um, people like Tango Tiger you know, have come up with things like the leverage index, which right. when you track that over time, you really get a great sense and a snapshot of how managers are, are managing their games.
0: So when you get a situation where the closer, the incumbent closer looks a little shaky, then you can look at those leverage index measures or other usage pattern measures and you can say the next guy in line might be this guy because his manager seems to put him in when the chips are down. I'm wondering also about usage patterns in terms of how much rope managers are willing to give their closers because of the magic closer tag. The Sabermetric community, including many of us at BaseballHQ.com, have been writing for years that big league teams could really benefit by putting their best relievers into the highest leverage situations, and yet many of them still don't. Why do you think teams remain stubbornly insistent on that ninth inning saves model for closers?
4: Well, I think that sabermetricians need to listen a little bit more to players and managers. I mean, if you listen to them, they'll say that relief pitchers are mainly creatures of habit and routine. And if you can get them into a routine and into a habit that they produce, you know, at their optimum as opposed to some, you know, suboptimal level. And I think that, you know, you want to get as much out of your players as you can. And so that's an easy pattern, you know, for, for managers to manage and for players to get used to. I will say I love the Jack McKeon experiment in the early 90s when he had three relievers each throw over 100 innings and, you know, each one of them got saves and wins. If you remember Scott Williamson, Danny Graves, and Scott Sullivan all had great success and helped a pretty weak rotation. So I think it can be successful, but you have to change the mindset of those players that they can actually, you know, take on this kind of variable role as opposed to going and falling into these routines where they're very comfortable.
0: And, of course, there was another example with the Nasty Boys in Cincinnati where they rotated the saves opportunities on a more mix-and-match basis with uh, Randy Myers, Charlton, and Rob Dibble.
4: That's right. No, it's exactly the same idea. I mean you have to have relievers who are willing to do more than one inning first of all and have success to do you know doing I mean, I don't think it's a willingness I think it's a mentality that I can be successful in any role at any time as opposed to this is my set role and I need to stick to that in order to be successful.
0: You live in Cincinnati and the team has One of the most dominant relief pitchers in baseball in our oldest Chapman, and they were actually talking about making him into a starter, so it wasn't like they had real big questions about his stamina. Also, he's he's built like a Clydesdale horse. His DOM rate in relief is 14 strikeouts per nine, more or less, but he's only on track to pitch about 70 innings this year, and that's about the same as last year, and about the same as they're going to get from Jonathan Broxton, who's nowhere near as effective of a pitcher. Shouldn't the Reds be doing whatever they can to get Chapman into more innings, irrespective of saves? Because a big guy like him, give him 105, 110 innings, that's 40 innings that aren't being pitched by Manny Parra or Logan Andrusek or guys like that.
4: Yeah, I mean, the short answer to that is ideally yes. But, um, you know, you're not really sure how much you're giving up in his effectiveness. You know, that 14 strikeouts per nine would certainly go down. Um, probably it still would be better than you would get from Broxton or Andreusik. The question then is how do how do you convince Dusty Baker to use him in a in a different way and how is that different way, you know, effective for the team as a whole? So if if there's a way to use him for two innings, say you put him in the eighth and ninth inning every time, what does that do to the rest of the bullpen and how does that help the Reds win more games? But you would think that you could do that if you could see ahead and say, look, every time we have a lead in the eighth, we're going to use him. Um, you'd get more innings, certainly, and you'd probably have more effective. Uh, I, I have to say the Reds' bullpen, though, is pretty deep. They do pretty well. So maybe that's part of the factor, too.
0: You, you make an interesting point because you, you have to go to a guy like Dusty Baker and say, and not just Dusty Baker although he's current he seems to be a very old-fashioned type of manager in a lot of ways but you you could go to any manager in the big leagues and say look we're going to embark on this new strange and unusual pattern and but you got to buy into it and his thought must be if it doesn't work i'm going to get the blame
4: I don't even think that's his mentality. I think his mentality is more, I know what I'm doing works when I have Chapman, Sean Marshall, J.J. J. Hoover, Broxton. I mean, they're all pretty talented guys, so there's no reason in his mind not to use those guys in the way that he's using them. Now, if he had Chapman and no one else, and he knew everyone else was going to get knocked around, he would have his starter stay in a little longer, and he would have Chapman come in a little sooner. So I think part of it is just the makeup of the rest of the rotation and bullpen.
0: And if that's true, but if it's the case, there are bullpens in the in the major leagues that are anchored by a pretty decent pitcher, and some of the rest of the guys, not so much.
4: Yeah, I mean, if, 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 if you have a manager, and, and I'll use Dusty Baker, but you could say Tony Larusa or Mike Socia, they really don't care what people think. They're just trying to win games. and. You know, they're doing the best that they think they can do. It may not be the optimal saber metric on paper way of handling it, but it seems to me that if you have you know the luxury of three good relievers you're using all three if you only have one that one guy's going to get used until he you know he drops dead i mean that's kind of how they do it
0: really so they should without having a guy like get hurt or or get overused to the point of ineffectiveness and i guess that's where the balance comes in we're seeing more younger and more analytically inclined leaders in major league front offices and they're starting to filter onto the field as field managers as well do you think that these usage patterns in bullpens Will change as these young ideas get more position in the game, if you will?
4: Yeah, I just think every team's situation is a little unique. You know, if you have, you know, strong relievers and a couple of really poor slots in the rotation, you would act differently and use them more than if you had the opposite a strong rotation but few relievers. You know, how you use your pitchers depends on, you know, that mix. Um, I think having multiple lefty relievers is important to usage. Um, but everything seems to be aiming towards more and more specialization in those situations where there's two runners on and the game's in the balance. You know, Do you have the right pitcher for that moment? And if you have the right pitcher for that moment, you have a greater chance of success. What did
0: you think of the Colorado experiment where they had the the 100-pitch limit for the four starters, and then they had a um, dedicated starter behind each of those four starters to do the next three or four innings, and their bullpen, when they instituted that plan, was fairly solid with Rex Brothers and, and uh, Raphael Betancourt and guys like that who, who were, in fact, pretty good, and so that, that plan seemed to have some promise, but maybe the case was that they just didn't have good enough starters, either the first batch or the second.
4: Well, I think that, I mean, I really thought it was interesting, and the whole point of it to me was exactly that. The rotation, they didn't have any starter they could rely on to get through three innings on any given day, but they had an excellent set of relievers in the pen. So it just seemed to switch all of the onus onto the bullpen by doing it the way they were doing it and you know it's only going to be so successful because those guys aren't stretched out and they're not effective in multiple innings you're asking too much of them but you couldn't get away with having your rotation guys try to give you six or seven innings every day so you had to do the best you could it was it was making the best of a very bad situation.
0: I'm wondering though if somebody might look at it especially a team that didn't have big financial resources and might look at the The field out there and say, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a bunch of guys like Jeff Francis, Eric Bedard, not Canadian guys, but you know, guys who are injury prone, especially when they get deep into games and pitch a lot. And if I got seven or eight of those guys and I said, look, you guys are only going to pitch 75 innings on your starts, but we'll start you a little more frequently and and manage your injury risk that way. Yeah, maybe that's a, a possibility.
4: Well, they might try it, but the problem is, is if you get Jeff Francis, you got Jeff Francis. I mean, it's not... You know, he's still Jeff Francis, and he's not going to, you know, match up well, even in the early innings, with pitchers who pitch better. I mean, it's, you know, getting four innings out of Jeff Francis may not be all that much different or better than getting six innings out of him on the days that he could actually go six innings. Yeah, I I don't know that it would work.
0: When they first started it, I remember looking into it for BaseballHQ.com, and he was stronger the first two times through the order and then blew up in the third time through, whether because his stuff isn't that good and guys were figuring it out, or whether he was tiring relatively quickly. So, I mean, if you did have a situation where you had a bunch of pitchers who do two passes through the order and are effective and then blow up, hey, who knows? Maybe Maybe it works.
4: I think then, sir, it could what you want to do is give them the best chance to succeed and it really doesn't matter who gets the win or the save. It's how do you get nine effective innings across the folks you have on a regular basis?
0: Baseball HQ Radio Patrick David with Doug Dennis bullpen's analyst at baseballhq.com and Doug, let's talk about some specific bullpen situations. Many fantasy owners always on the lookout for potential trades for saves but closers seem to be more volatile than ever. Which closers do you think in Major League Baseball are rock-solid in the role right now?
4: Well, this stuff is so fleeting that I would probably give you different answers next week if you ask me, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you some names. Um, I think Mariano Rivera is back and as good as ever. I mean, you know, he got injured last year. It's interesting because you'd say, wow, if he's rock-solid, how do he get hurt? But, I mean, it happens. But, you know, nothing's going to change for his role unless he got hurt again. Um, I actually really think Casey Jantz is rock solid. I've read a lot about, you know, early in the season, Now you never know what's going to happen with him, but he's done nothing but, but excellent success since he got the role and there's nobody around him, you know, to take over if if he had a problem. And I think uh, Jim Johnson in Baltimore, I hate to say it because I really was down on him. His projections showed that his strikeout rate was way too low, but he's managed to raise his strikeout rate while not losing anything off his ground ball rate. He seems pretty solid, too. Over in the National League, it's a lot easier. I really... You know, you love Kimberl, You love, you know, Roldis Chapman. I think Sergio Romo, as long as he doesn't tire out, is is incredibly effective. And even uh, newcomer, you know, Edward Mujica has been fantastic for St. Louis. Those guys are all rock solid.
0: How about closers that uh, maybe are the least solid and, and who's sitting behind them?
4: Yeah, I wish I could give you uh, something new and different. But, I mean, Jose Valverde was incredibly ineffective last year. So far he's been okay, but his uh, his skill set doesn't look any different, so I think that he's going to fall off and you know, figuring out which tiger is going to take his place, I think that's the problem that caused Detroit to get Valverde in the first place. So I don't know that there's a direct answer to who will come back, you know, and take his slot, especially since Albuquerque he just got sent down to the minors. Right. Um Jose Veras in um in Houston is, is terrible, but I mean, I don't think they have any solution. Um so, you know, I, I you know, at some point he's gonna have to go, but I'm not sure what they can do. Um in in in, in Chicago I think the Cubs have Kevin Gregg so far so good, but uh, they actually have uh Fujikawa back so he could, you know, come and, and emerge. Um, I think um, it's interesting what's going on with Heath Bell. Um, last year, he had terrible results and terrible skills. This year, his skills have rebounded quite a bit, but his results are still terrible. Um, he's kind of filling in right now, but you know, David Hernandez could come and take his slot now that you know JJ J. Putz is out, and then Brandon Lee. You know, jeez, I mean, I think he's already lost his job, perhaps to uh, Kenley Jansen, um, but you know as far as the managers at least publicly saying he's he's still around and then Houston Street i think is having a terrible year i i don't know if he's already hurt but i i suspect he he might be
0: is uh, is Luke Gregerson first in line in San Diego do you think
4: i think so yeah i think so i mean he's been so good for so long and and very you know consistently good that um I don't think they would miss a beat by moving him. I think the harder part is how to replace Gregerson. You know, once he moves to closer, you know what would happen behind him, but Street's going to keep that job for now, but I just feel like he must be hurt cuz his what what's going on there is not Houston Street like
0: If you had to pick two pitchers who are not getting saves right now but will be by the All-Star break, who might you who might you pick?
4: Oh, well, that's a good question. Well, I mentioned Fujikawa, QG Fujikawa for uh, the Cubs is somebody that I think you know he's an effective pitcher he got hurt early and so he kind of stumbled and missed his chance and now Greg's in there but I just don't have any faith in Greg I've seen him lose the closer role I think three or four times now so Fujikawa is probably a pretty good name for that Um, someone in the American League I would have said someone from Detroit if I could figure out who it is maybe a Joaquin Benoit I don't know um, but Somebody other than Valverde, I just can't imagine that he's going to keep that job on a team that's trying to make the playoffs.
0: What about in Cleveland? Chris Perez has been uh, notoriously unskilled uh, throughout his tenure as the closer in Cleveland, and Vinny Pestano's hurt. Does Joe Smith have a have a chance here?
4: Well, that's a, I, I don't know. I mean, Joe Smith's been pretty good. I mean, but you know, and very consistently and quietly good. Um, But he's never really, um, he's not like one of those, wow, you know, strike out a million guy pitchers. Um, So I think he could be a closer, but I don't think he would be a top of the line guy. And Perez, you know, Perez has actually been okay. I mean, he hasn't. He hasn't had the best skill set, but it's been you know it's been marginally acceptable. I don't know that there's a lot of difference between him and, and Smith, honestly.
0: And as I said, Vinny Pistano, I think he's supposed to be back off the DL relatively soon. Uh, he's widely viewed as the obvious next choice.
4: Yeah, he's fantastic. He's different from both of those other guys. I mean, he is easily the best reliever in that pen. Now, you know, when we talk about these high leverage situations, sometimes. If you have a guy like Chris Perez closing games, that's not so bad if you can use Pistano in spots where, you know, the game's on the line. Um, So, you know, it may not be the worst setup in the world the way the Indians do it.
0: That's actually, I never thought of that, but that's a real interesting point. It gives the manager some cover with the media if something doesn't go right to have the uh, closer, in quotation marks, always pitch the ninth even if it doesn't matter because it does give him that – that uh, leeway to to apply his best pitcher to the best situation.
4: Yeah, Detroit used to do that with Todd Jones. I don't know if you remember Todd Jones, but the best pitcher in that pen for years was Doug Brokale. And Doug Brokale would come in with, you know, loaded bases and one out and manage to weasel out of it, and then Doug Jones would get the save. And it would just be maddening because you'd look at the skill set and you'd say, Doug is like 10 times better than Todd Jones, but Todd Jones has 45 saves but you know incredibly effective for them
0: do you do you think it's a good idea for leagues to adopt some kind of holds plus saves as a scoring category rather than just saves
4: no i don't well i think they're both terrible categories to be honest I mean, holds are are even more uh, susceptible to craziness than than I mean, at least with saves. It's like pretty much one guy per game. You know, with yeah. holds, you can get like three or four holds in a game that are you know maybe someone threw two pitches, some, maybe somebody threw three innings. I mean, you know, what, the actual performance is just widely varied for the same number. I don't really love holds at all, but uh, no, they're both they're both difficult because it, they don't reflect skill very well.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David with Doug Dennis from BaseballHQ.com, bullpen's analyst there, and we're about a quarter of the way into the season. Which player, a player or two, do you think have been the biggest positive surprises this season?
4: Well, I'll pick the less obvious Milwaukee Brewer and say Carlos Gomez. I mean, the center fielder for the Brewers has been he's been outstanding and. You know, it wasn't that long ago he was a fourth outfielder who, you know, you kind of pick at the end of your draft to get some, you know, marginal steals, and he's just producing in every category this year, and I certainly have been surprised by that. I guess from pitching standpoint, I could point, I don't know how I would pick between a guy like Travis Wood. I didn't think he would do what he's doing this year. And then, you know, Pat Corbin for Arizona has been ridiculous. I don't even know how to explain. I mean, I knew he had pretty good skills, but my goodness, he's been phenomenal.
0: He certainly has Patrick Corbin uh, uh, an early pick of of stevennickrand at baseballhq.com by the way uh, which players do you think have been the biggest disappointments thus far
4: Well if I didn't say BJ Upton you know I mean I I don't even know <laughs> he's on my labor team at pain every single day he's he's just been horrendous I mean he doesn't just go 0 for 4 he goes o for 4 with three strikeouts I mean it's I don't know how to explain it and then you know it may not be all his fault because now he's having surgery and so on, but I just can't believe that Roy Holiday just fell off the earth the way he has but uh, but that's what's happened.
0: we've been asking our expert guests. To tell us whether various stories and player performances are facts or flukes. Uh, you've been on the Facts or Flukes panel at First Pitch Arizona for many years. I had the pleasure of hosting a few of those over, over the years. And uh, how about Gene Segura of the Brewers? Uh, this guy leads uh, Major League Baseball in steals. He's the guy you, you referred to a moment ago as the guy you're not picking because you like Gomez. He's over 350 as we speak. He has one less home run than Miguel Cabrera. Let's start with Facts or Flukes. And Gene Segura, Fact or Fluke?
4: Well, I think he's a fluke if you're asking me, is he going to keep that level of production all season long? I mean, he's he's really good, and he will exceed expectations, but he's not quite Ricky Henderson, at least uh, not yet.
0: Starling Marte of the Pirates is one of eight batters who's earned $30 or more so far this year using BaseballHQ.com's five-by-five uh, five dollar values. Is uh, Starling Marte a fact or a fluke?
4: Well, I think it's the same answer. I mean, he's an incredibly good player, and he will exceed for the year, but I think it would be unrealistic to expect him to maintain the same level you know, for the balance of the season.
0: How about Manny Machado of the Orioles? He really hit the ground running last year, and of course the question was could he keep it going this year, and he certainly has. He's keeping company with Evan Longoria as a value player. Do you think that's a fact or a fluke?
4: Well, I think that's a harder one to say. I mean, we don't have enough data about him. But one thing we do know is that the scouts say that he has about as high a ceiling as anybody. So, you know, if that's true, you know, you look at what like Mike Trout did last year. I mean, certainly it's too early to call, but I think I'd be hopeful that he can keep up this pace and can produce at this level for the rest of the year.
0: Well, BaseballHQ.com projecting 14 more home runs, 60 RBIs, 10 stolen bases, and a two seventy two average the rest of the way around 20 bucks staying at third base josh donaldson of oakland hit 240 last year he's way over 300 this year uh is that a fact or a fluke
4: okay i'm gonna say a big time fluke and just leave it at that i mean good grief josh (laughs) donaldson come on
0: (laughs) (laughs) how about the rebound season of vernon wells and travis hafner helping the yankees stay competitive either of them a fact
4: oh the yankees will take it right i mean unbelievable that they're getting anything from these guys um I can't see how it's sustainable at current levels. Um, I do think they've been rejuvenated, um, both of them, from just having a change of scenery. And, uh, you know, it shows that it is kind of a human game. It's very interesting for the Yankees because, you know, by the time these guys are cooling off and not doing what they've done so far, they're going to get all their big guns back, too. So it really has worked out well for the Yankees, for sure.
0: You mentioned B.J. Upton, but do you consider him to have any. Flukiness about this poor performance that he can rebound?
4: Well, you know, if it's not a fluke, he's just going to flat out lose his job. I mean, I don't, even with that massive contract, he's been so hideous. I mean, it's, 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 it's got to turn around. If it doesn't turn around, he's just not going to have it bats for much longer.
0: Batting average, I think, is around 150. His OPS is under 500, which is sort of a reserve middle infielder kind of levels of performance. So, yeah, uh, Adam Dunn, nobody thought he was going to hit 300, but he's under 150 as well. Is that a fact or a fluke?
4: Well, with Adam Dunn, it just seems to me that it's becoming more and more of a fact. I mean, you know, he shows signs of life from time to time, and he still has the, you know, light tower power, but... I do think we're kind of in the twilight of his career. It's been an interesting uh, three true outcomes career, but I think think the end is coming.
0: Brett Laurie of Toronto was a hot pick by a lot of sites, and a lot of experts thought he was going to have a big year. He missed some games early on the DL, but he's still floating around the Mendoza line around 200 for a batting average. Hasn't stolen a base yet all year. Is that a fact or a fluke?
4: Well, you know, when a guy is nicked up like that, I think all bets are off, and I'm still very optimistic for him. The one thing about him is his very reckless, abandoned, you know, kind of style of play makes me wonder if he's going to be missing time, you know, periodically every season. That's the thing I worry about with him, you know, going forward. It isn't so much a skill set, but, you know, how many games is he actually going to play if he's going to, you know, keep playing, you know, the way he plays?
0: Yeah, that uh, Canadian hockey player mentality. Oddly enough, I think Mike Trout has it too, which has been mentioned as a concern about his career in the future, banging into walls, sliding hard all the time, you know, just so aggressive and energetic that uh, it creates injury risk where other players might not have it.
4: Yeah, I I actually think that's, I mean, I remember Rusty Greer was a very good player until he just couldn't stay on the field. But a guy like Trout, he's such a big guy, I think he could, like, hurt the wall. I don't think walls hurt him.
0: I was talking with Jock Thompson, and he and his wife saw Mike Trout in a restaurant, and uh, their impression was he's not as tall as you'd expect from seeing him on TV, but he's very, very stocky and and strong looking.
4: The restaurant was the night before opening day in Cincinnati. They were visiting me. They were having dinner oh. with me and my wife, and Mike Trout walked through the dining room, and he is he looks like a linebacker. I mean, he's he doesn't look like a baseball player. He looks like a full-on you know MMA you know heavyweight boxer. (laughs) He's unbelievable.
0: (laughs) Dustin Ackley of Seattle also has zero steals. His batting average is down around the 230s. Seems like we've been waiting for Dustin Ackley for a long time. Is this starting to look more like a fact?
4: Yeah, I mean, there's not enough growth. It's starting to look just like Justin Smoke, where you wait and wait and wait and nothing happens. I mean, I don't know what Seattle does with these guys. I mean, they're kind of cheap, and they're, you know, they had a high upside at one time, but... They've done something wrong, I mean, the, you know, developing these guys, because I don't see any any progress at all from Ackley.
0: Yeah, Smoke came over, I believe, in the Cliff Lee trade a few years ago when he sent, they sent him to Texas, and Smoke was considered a can't-miss power prospect, and he sure has missed.
4: Yeah, I mean, same thing. I mean, just no growth at all
0: not much coming for Dustin Ackley either if baseballhq.com projections are to be believed eight home runs 36 RBIs maybe seven bags and a 2.45 batting average five six dollar player the rest of the way ike davis was something of a hot commodity at draft tables because everybody's expecting him to build on last year and have a breakout season but so far more a breakdown than a breakout is ike davis's poor season a factor a fluke
4: I think it's a fluke. I mean, the light tower power is still in there somewhere. I, I, I do think he'll get it going, but um, you know, I don't think I don't think the start is what his owners had in mind.
0: Certainly, it isn't. And uh, would you buy low on this guy?
4: I would. I've tried <laughs> <laughs> unsuccessfully so far. <laughs>
0: So yeah, it it can be tough cuz people in a lot of instances will have invested 25 26 bucks at the draft table and they don't want to throw that away lightly. Uh, Jason Grilly back to the bullpens. Here he is. I think he's leading all of baseball and saves are close. Is Jason Grilly's big rebound year a fact or a fluke?
4: Well, it's definitely weird and it's def you know, I don't feel like it's likely to stay this way, but uh you know, it's not any more weird than Jim Johnson leading the league in saves for the Orioles last year. or Gosh, Fernando Rodney's season last year. So, you know, with when you're talking that few innings, you know, that we're talking about with a guy who being a save leader this time of year, it's just not enough, you know, to, to you know, you can't really make a call who's going to be the save leader in mid May.
0: A few more innings for Matt Harvey of the Mets, the top pitcher in baseball. When you look at BaseballHQ.com's fifteen-team five-by-five dollar values, doesn't have a lot of wins. No surprise pitching for the Mets, but an ERA around one fifty, his WHIP is under oh seventy-five. The last time I looked, uh, I know he's a rookie and it hasn't had a lot of starts, but it, does he look like a factor or a fluke?
4: Oh, fact. I mean, he. You know, I've, I. I. I think he belongs among the very top aces. You know, and I think. You know, and we're saying, you know, is his ERA and whip going to stay at 150 and 0.75? No, I mean, but, but one of the top aces in the league for sure. And I really like it when sabermetricians and scouts completely agree. And this is a guy that everybody seems to completely agree about.
0: Many owners had high hopes about a different Met starter. We talked briefly with Harold Nichols about Jonathan Nice. ERA over six, his whip is over 175. His dollar value, impressive, $17. Is this a fact or a fluke?
4: Uh, I should find out what Harold said, but I think it's crazy. He was so good last year, and now he suddenly can't throw strikes. I don't get it. But, you know, he had some neck problem. Apparently that was affecting mechanics. I think his last start, he had a very good start. Um, Whatever the excuse is, um, I think that he just needs to have some tweak in his delivery, and he'll go right back to how he was last year because he was just too good last year to think that he can't pitch, you know, suddenly.
0: Yeah, when uh, Harold raised that neck and back issue, and I wondered if they said that because he had neck and back issues that it was altering his delivery, and I wondered if maybe he's got some kind of arm problem and that's causing the neck and back issues as he tries to compensate for whatever's bothering him in his shoulder or, or possibly an elbow, so maybe there's a, an injury there that we're not hearing about yet?
4: I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know, I don't know any other way to explain this because he was he was very good last year. I had him. I bought him last year because I thought he would be good, and he was good. So I, I would have bought him again this year, but I couldn't afford him. I, I can't explain it. I think he's a good pitcher, and something's wrong.
0: Lots of people expected a Japanese pitcher to be in the top ten for fantasy value. Of course, Yu Darvish. But not many people expected two. And I dare say fewer still expected that second guy to be Hisashi Iwakumi of Seattle, One seventy-four, oh seventy-four. Looks fluky to me.
4: Well you know again like you can't expect any pitcher to keep up a 174 ERA um but no he's for you know he seems to me for real um and he's going to be an exceptional pitcher but you know anybody who has a pitcher who's pitching at that level can't expect that to even if it's Verlander he's not going to stay at 174 i mean you know it's just not likely to happen but yeah he's going to be good all year i mean he's a good pitcher
0: Annabelle Sanchez has more strikeouts than Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, who you'd expect would be among the league leaders. Is Annabel Sanchez's big rebound a factor, or a fluke?
4: Oh, I mean, he's a good pitcher. They're all three unbelievable pitchers. I mean, I think any of them could be the strikeout leader at the end of the year, and they may end up being one, two, and three. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think Sanchez is an excellent pitcher. I think he was an excellent pitcher in Florida. He just is really found himself in the last half a season I'd say and he's kind of upped at a level but he was he was always good and now he's just that much better very good pitcher
0: speaking of former top pitchers in Florida Josh Johnson came over to Toronto in a much ballyhooed off-season trade a lot of guys involved in that he's at minus 17 dollars with an ERA right around seven and a whip uh, hovering close to two factor of fluke how do you handle Josh Johnson
4: well, uh, it's just what we were saying about Nice. I mean, I, I, he ha- he's been hurt a lot in his career. And if something's not wrong with him physically, I don't understand it because I've never seen him have any trouble pitching when he's healthy. I mean, whenever he's healthy, he just mows people down. So I just feel like something has to be physically wrong. Um, but, you know, I'm not his doctor.
0: <laughs> and with, uh, is it, what, is, what is it called, HEPA or something in the United States where he, his, even his doctor can't talk about it anymore?
4: No, no, they can't. I mean, you never, you know, until there's suddenly some announcement that, oh, the guy has a problem with his elbow or his shoulder or something, you know, you don't know. But it doesn't make any sense that his ERA is near seven, you know, given his history, unless there's a physical problem and he's had plenty of history of physical problems. So that wouldn't be so surprising.
0: No, that's an excellent point. The same deal brought Toronto, but Mark Burely, they thought he would be a reliable innings eater, and I guess he's eating his share of innings, but boy, it's the Jays and fantasy owners getting the heartburn. Six ERA, 150 whip. Is Mark Burely done?
4: Um, Yeah, I kind of feel like he's a hot potato. I mean, I don't know. You know, a pitcher like that, he's always been kind of a consistent inning eater type of guy, but not super spectacular. Um, And I just think that, you know, when you have a guy like that, somebody's going to get him last and it's going to go bad, and it looks like that's what's happening.
0: All right, Doug Dennis, thanks very much for doing this. When does your bullpen buyer's guide appear at the BaseballHQ.com site?
4: Every Wednesday morning.
0: And it's just full of interesting insights and information. You're really using those advanced metrics to explain what's going on in, uh, in the bullpens and to steer subscribers towards the guys that they need to be looking at now for down the road. Doing an excellent job, Doug, and an excellent job here today. Thanks very much for joining us.
4: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Doug Dennis is the Bullpen Buyer's Guide columnist at BaseballHQ.com. Our regular commentaries come up next. This is Baseball HQ Radio.
5: You worried about getting fined
6: for the organization? He's going out to get fined. I
3: shouldn't get fined a dog not penny. He screws something up, but I get fined for it. He makes a bad call. All I'm doing is telling him in the out the ball's high. He's got rabbit ears and looks over at me, and then he throws me out of the game. Then he tells me I want showtime. Who should get fined? Why don't umpires get fined?
6: I get fined. I can't throw him out.
5: That's
1: what bothers me about the game.
0: Baseball HQ Radio. Welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. We have Ryan Bloomfield on deck with HQ Matchups. BaseballHQ.com General Manager Ray Murphy is in the hole with Master Notes. And leading off, it's the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about San Diego left-handed pitching prospect Max Freed.
5: The San Diego Padres' Max Freed will be an interesting player to watch as he progresses through the Midwest League this year. Freed was the seventh overall pick in the 2012 draft after a standout career at prep powerhouse Harvard-Westlake. He has good velocity for a young lefty and comes after hitters with a nice 90-94 to 94 mile an hour fastball that will occasionally go as high as 96 his best offering is really a good low-90s two-seam fastball that he complements with a nice 12-6 to curve and a changeup that has some potential but really needs some refinement still. It's been interesting to watch how the Potters have handled Freed since signing him last July. The organization was very cautious last year and limited him to just 17 innings and 10 outings. But obviously they liked what they saw well enough to send him out against older competition against the Midwest League this year. So far, Fried has handled the Midwest League well and has a 2-1 record with a 2.79 ERA. He's walked 21, which is not great, but he's also struck out 51 in 30 and two-thirds innings. Fried has good size and some nice projection from his six-foot, 485-pound frame. If he can improve his command and develop his changeup, Max Fried has the potential to develop into one of the better lefty pitching prospects in the minors. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon.
0: Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garropy, and Chris Maloney have reports and updates on the top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-up reports, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. Baseball HQ's call-up reports this week have looked at Tampa left-hander Alex Torres, Yankees right-hander Delon Betances, Detroit outfielder Avasail Garcia, and more. And the minor league watch list looks at less heralded prospects who seem to have a path to the majors, looking this week at pitchers of note. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your league, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now it's HQ Matchups, looking at individual pitcher skills for this week's games and how certain pitchers match up against their opposing lineups. The scale you'll hear runs from plus five, which is a must start, to minus five, which is a must sit. With the skinny on games for this coming week, here's Ryan Bloomfield looking at Shelby Miller against San
1: Diego, Sean Markham facing Cincinnati, and more. BaseballHQ.com starting pitching report really likes Shelby Miller with a 2.33 matchup rating on Monday, and why not? Miller grabbed a lot of attention last week, retiring 27 in a row on May 10th, and he's displaying skills so far that showcases ace potential, namely an expected ERA under 3 and a strikeout to walk rate at 4.8. An 88% strain rate this year is pretty high, so don't expect the 1.4 ERA to hold up, but what you should expect is another strong outing from Miller against San Diego. Jake Peavy gave his owners a scare earlier this month as he missed a start with back spasms, but he's pitched pretty well in two starts since, giving up a total of three runs with a 12-2 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Peavy's 158 BPV sums up the fact that his skills have been elite this year. And he's traditionally been a flyball pitcher, so those tendencies should also play pretty well on Sunday at Angel Stadium, which limits homers by roughly 20% at both sides of the plate per BaseballHQ.com's Park Factors. Sean Markham has struggled in five starts this year since returning from offseason shoulder and neck injuries. He's 0-4 with a 675 ERA so far. The skills aren't much better either with a five ten expected ERA and thirty BPV, both of which are well below his baseline levels. And though he's never been known as a hard thrower, Markham's fastball velocity is down near eighty five miles an hour and he's made it through five innings in just one start this year. His negative one point four six matchup rating against Cincinnati should have you looking elsewhere. And on the surface, Barry Zito and his 340 ERA haven't been half bad so far, but there are a number of reasons why he's not recommended this Sunday against Colorado. First, he has a 6% home run per fly ball rate and 455 expected ERA. Those indicate some regression is coming. Second, his 5.4 strikeout per nine and 1.9 strikeout to walk ratios say so there isn't really any skill improvement here. And last, he's pitching in Coors Field. Colorado leads the National League in runs scored and OPS. Zito's negative 2.83 matchup rating from the starting pitching report highlights the risk here. This is still Barry Zito, after all. Visit BaseballHQ.com for even more extensive coverage of daily matchups every day from Monday through Saturday. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with Baseball HQ. Attention Daily Streaming
0: League and salary cap gamers, Ryan Bloomfield and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com General Manager Ray Murphy talking this
6: week about how it's still early. A couple of my teams are off to frustratingly slow starts this year. Both my labor mixed and my NFBC teams have been lagging near the back of the standings. I have other teams in my portfolio that are faring better, but these two are particularly important to me. I won both of these leagues last year and and had high hopes of doing so again in 2013. Things haven't gone right for either team. It's a sinking feeling when you start the season with a bad stretch in early April, and then early April becomes late April, and then late April becomes mid-May, and things aren't really getting better. Before you know it, your eyes are trained to read the standings from the bottom up, and you're facing a very long summer. But I'm here to tell you, it's still early. As proof, let me tell you about what happened on Sunday. First, some background. Early last week, I sent the following email to my NFBC co-manager, Wynne Murray. Quote, My goodness, there are just so many potential points at our fingertips right now. If we can just get productive across the board, we could literally pick up 30 points in fairly short order. I sent that email on Wednesday, May 8th. By Sunday the 12th, not much had changed. We entered Sunday in 13th place in the 15-team league, and our 64-point total put us 34.5 points out of of first. Sunday ended up being one of those days where absolutely everything goes right, the kind of day you might have a couple of times in a really good season. Everything that had gone wrong for seven weeks went right in one day. Jose Bautista hit two home runs. Tim Lincecum pitched seven shutout innings. The Phillies erased a two-run deficit in the ninth, and Jonathan Papelbon picked up a save in extra innings. For the day, our team stat line looked like this: four fifteen batting average, eleven runs, six home runs, eleven RBIs, fifteen and two thirds innings pitched, one earned run, a WHIP under one point zero, two wins, and a save. Hopefully, everyone who has been playing this game has experienced a few days like this. It's great fun, but the astounding thing about it was the standings impact. In comparing Sunday morning standings to Monday mornings, we had jumped from 13th place to 9th, gained 16 standings points, and moved from 34.5 points out of first to just 19.5. An important milestone passed on the calendar this week. Wednesday was May 15th. That's the date we traditionally highlight as the point where statistics start to get significant. If hot or cold starting players, or entire fantasy teams, can maintain their pace from opening day until May 15th, you have to take that performance seriously. The key word, though, is start to take seriously. When you look at the team you drafted back in March, it has established some strengths and weaknesses by now. Those are real, and you should be looking at how to exploit those strengths and fortify those weaknesses going forward, if you haven't done so already. But the standings themselves? They're meaningful, but they are not written in stone. Not when one of my teams can pick up 16 standings points in one great afternoon. It's a long season. We're still just getting started. Keep Grinding. Now, if I can just get one of those monster days for my labor team. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ray Murphy.
0: Ray Murphy is the general manager of BaseballHQ.com and a member of the Master Notes rotation at the website and here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Master Notes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. And remember, we have Master Notes here at Baseball HQ Radio. Every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of May the 17th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 18 of the 2013 fantasy baseball season. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with BaseballHQ.com bullpen analyst Doug Dennis. Doug is a very successful fantasy player, an excellent analyst, and a hell of a funny guy. If you haven't been to First Pitch Arizona to see Doug on the facts and flukes panel, well, you don't know what you're missing. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch News Analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our Minor League analyst was Rob Gordon. Our HQ Matchups Commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. And our Master Notes Commentator this week, BaseballHQ.com General Manager Ray Murphy. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com now and in the coming days for these features. Ray Murphy, a busy guy, has a speculator column about skills looking for roles. Rick Wilton, Dr. HQ, continues his series on anatomy looking this week at ACL injuries. And Ron Chandler's Fanalytics column looks at what he calls a $9 in-season pitching staff. Plus, we have our regular features on playing time, buyer's guides, division outlooks, pitcher matchups, and so much more. I'm Patrick Abbott. My research article this week at BaseballHQ.com looks at pitch counts and how they relate to subsequent PQS scores. And, of course, I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and our Twitter feed at baseballhq. My own Twitter feed is at Patrick Davitt. I'd be glad to have you join my crowd. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and rate our show. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.
3: Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt. (coughs)